want to do this once today. Recording in progress. All right. Anytime. Okay. I'll I'll finish doing this and then I'll jump in. Okay. Oh, it feels like there's another one coming. I'm not going to let it. I'm not going to let it. Oh, okay. <coughs> Sorry. Sorry. Need to get that out. The hills across the valley of the Ebro were long and white. On this side, there was no shade and no trees, and the station was between two lines of rails in the sun. Close against the side of the station, there was the warm shadow of the building and a curtain made of strings of bamboo beads hung across the open door into the bar to keep out flies. The American and the girl with him sat at a table in the shade outside the building. It was very hot and the express from Barcelona would come in 40 minutes. It stopped at this junction for two minutes and went on to Madrid. Lightning recap in Hills Like White Elephants by Ernest Hemingway. A man and a girl have a drink and discuss whether or not she will have an operation. Yeah, it all checks out. <laughs> Up AF. <laughs> also, I love on the... Uh the pdf you link to it says ernest hemingway 1899 to 4961 <laughs> something seems quite wrong about that unless unless there's something they aren't telling us are you saying this piece time traveled to us <laughs> i'm sorry about the audio i don't know what the deal is i'm drinking coffee you probably haven't had enough uppers. I think that's really the down, the downside. Um, actually, yeah, I'm on gabapentin now, so that might be very true. <laughs> I'm oh, on, yeah. Literally on downers. <laughs> I, I knew it. I remember when Vanessa was on gabapentin. Vaguely. How did, how did that go? Uh, fairly well, actually. Uh, she, she'd had her uh, mastectomy. And so she was on gabapentin for probably a month, month and a half. And then uh, they weaned her off of it using nothing. And uh, that was kind of painful. Yeah, my, my pain doctor specifically said, don't try to go off of it on your own. So, so, so. It was a bad uh, idea. Do, do me a favor and, and uh, don't, don't do that thing where you accidentally publish the unedited version. <laughs> <laughs> try not to. Uh, I'm a war criminal. Um, <laughs> that way we both have a thing. <laughs> there you go. Yes. Yeah. You have a little time. We have a little podcast. This is Short Story Short Podcast. I am Christopher J. Garcia here in a different car at a different Burger King today with I'm going to go with Nancy Drew this time yes I'm still on that I'm <laughs> and <laughs> and I am in the same room next to a different Burger King whoa Ooh, trippy <laughs> hey if I were to go to a Burger King and order a short story 
what short story should I order? <laughs> All those poor employees at the drive-through when they <laughs> to deal with you. Well, I guess if you're going to order any story at a Burger King, you should order Hills Like White Elephants by Ernest Hemingway. That doesn't seem right at all, but you, <laughs> this is the, the sentence you forced me into saying, so here we are. Oh, I like it. Um, this is a story that your junior call, your, you've read this story in school, or you should yes. have, except yes. I didn't until this week. <laughs> so... It's so funny. Finally, I'm the more well-read of the two of us. It's about damn time. <laughs> no, you really are the more well-read of the two of us. I just, I just fake it really well. <laughs> you, well, you must fake it really well because you always got like different stories and books and authors. And I'm just sitting here and I'm like, uh, I'm dumb. <laughs> <laughs> You're not dumb. But this story is arguably the most talky story we have ever covered. Yeah, which is funny because it's Hemingway, a, a man of few words. But right. he kind of defies that categorization within the story in more than one way. And in, in both in the, the prose and in the dialogue, because when he sets the scene up, it's these long sentences with lots of different clauses and such. And that's, you know, not his usual, like, way of, like, you know, being, like, he's Mr. Brevity, usually. And then when it gets to the dialogue, it's just these entire sections, some as much as, like, half a page or even close to a page of just dialogue. We don't get any scene setting. We barely get dialogue tags. And I think that's part of the art of it. And the beauty of that is that when he does use tags, first off, I believe he only uses the man said once. But he uses she said, or the girl said, maybe maybe 10 times total. Uh, uh, which... uh, I just did a quick search in the document and I'm getting a couple of the man said. Um, oh. But uh, let's see, it says, it says uh, seven, but then when I try to go to the second one, it doesn't. Okay, so it says seven, but let's do the girl said. And seven. type it correctly. Also seven. Well, remember, said as a dialogue tag, it can be more uh, invisible, sort of. Our eyes tend to just skip right over it. So that could explain that. And the reason that you might be, notice it more with the girl is I think there's this slight way in which this story has not aged with us in that we have uh, the two main characters, the man, who's the American, and the girl who gets no other real description aside from that, aside from that she's wearing a hat, um, I think. And that's a lot. That's what we need yeah. to know. We do need to know a hat or no hat. It is important. So, so yeah, it's definitely like this idea of this feeling that he's older and more experienced, perhaps. If she's above 18, then it's silly to call her you know, no matter what the conventions of the day, it's silly to call her a girl instead of even at least a young woman, you know, or a young lady, a woman, a lady, any of these would work. You know, they, they might be, lady might be a little weird and stilted. Um, definitely not dame or broad because this isn't freaking noir. So we're, <laughs> no, there's no private detective's office. <laughs> 
Yeah, and the skirt in this story is left very lightly defined. But there are some really interesting things that he does, because literally this is just, for the most part, it feels like the passing fancy of a drinker. And what's fascinating is, you know, the whole yes with water, uh, the whole sort of backstory thing there, you're getting sort of, it, it means nothing. Yeah. But it also feels like that is what's defining this as Hemingway, not just because he was an epic drunk. Yeah, and he was. And he was, um, but because he knew how to infuse a scene with what matters to him at the moment. And I think this story, at this point when he wrote this, Hemingway was a superstar already. He was one of the biggest names in writing. Yeah. And we already had all this knowledge of his lifestyle, of his time. So we couldn't help but tie that into it. And I think usually, you know, we say, well, we shouldn't identify the characters with the writer. Here, I think we have to, because he was already a known character in the world. Yeah. There's a point got to me. Um, Okay. So when, what gets this to me is uh, we have this great one phrase to me that defines this entire story and makes me think that Hemingway wanted us to pay attention to this story, to this moment. It's, I wanted to try this new drink. That's all we do, isn't it? Look at things and try new drinks. What better defines Hemingway, particularly his short works, than that? And occasionally fighting animals. <laughs> yeah, that, but also that's a lot of European travel. <laughs> that's a good point. But he's also not a European, or is he? Well, the. Are you saying Hemingway or the man in the in the story? Who who is he? That's my next question. Okay, well, I'm going to say it's it's the man in the story. He is American because he mm-hmm. is stated as such, and so her we're we're less clear on that. I feel like she knows English. She doesn't know the area. She doesn't know mm-hmm. the customs. He knows the customs better than her. He knows the drinks and such. Um, she feels more naive in that way, just in the like lesser uh, informed about the location in which they are, you know, just staying for a few minutes. And, but she, she also seems to be more informed and savvy about life and the way of things, especially as they are between uh, men and women. And so I feel like there's definitely this sense of, yes, they are drinking and seeing things. But that's what we do when we go to Europe. We drink, we try new drinks and we see things, see new things. And we eat some food there too and do some, you know, some laying on the beach and such and some talking to people. But a lot of it is like, hey, let's go to a museum. And then after the museum, it's like, well, let's go have a beer. You know, we're on vacation. So I do get the sense of this is his lifestyle, which makes a lot of sense 
kind of a, a little bit of a Hemingway self-insert there, although I don't want to, you know, get the, the Hemingway stands screaming at me. Uh, but I feel like there's just there's just a little bit of Hemingway's projecting just a little bit onto this page. <laughs> yeah, I think I think he's projecting a lot so much so that oddly enough, there are pieces of his brain actually on this paper. <laughs> um, what's what's fascinating is, again, he's great at giving you a little bit that makes you go off. Um, for example, uh and if I do it, you'll be happy and things will be like they were and you'll love me. I love you now. You know I love you. Yeah, yeah. If anybody would uh, notice that that is a reassurance of current love, but it's not answering the question she asked. Yes. And that, those two sentences to me are the most Hemingway sentences you can have. They are... I don't want to say bland, but they are stated matter-of-factly. These, you could literally put any punctuation mark other than a period, and this has more meaning. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But the periods here make me feel as if it is just a plain-spoken fact that is probably hiding a fact that there is less truth to it. <laughs> It's yeah. the issue. And that he's not, he's, he's, he's by not saying he's going to uh, love her in the future if she does this, he's also saying he's not going to love her in the future. The, the unsaid speaks volumes and it tells us everything we need to know because he refuses to say it and he's doing that on purpose. There's no, you know, he's, he's not fumbling over his words. He, he is a man of few words. She tends to have longer bits of dialogue and he tends to have shorter which is one way in which you identify the speakers here and so you know I, I don't peg him as somebody who just throws words around willy-nilly I, I peg him as somebody who chooses them carefully and therefore what he doesn't say has as much meaning as what he does you're right and where I think the lack of tags is meant to bring us to sort of a confusion as to who is speaking that is used to bring us to a sort of conclusion that both figures in this aren't exactly on the same page, even with themselves necessarily, or at least mm -hmm. that themselves are putting forward, is the, uh, what did you say? I said we could have everything. We can have everything. No, we can't. Uh, we can have the whole world. No, we can't. We can have every, we can go everywhere. No, we can't. It isn't ours anymore. It's ours. No, it isn't. That back and forth, other than the fact that she said is the lead in uh, portion to that, literally either character could be saying either side of this conversation and still be playing within the role of their character. I disagree, actually. Um, I feel like she's very much like, she's being the realist here and he's being the optimist or at least pretending to be so. And so very much in the framework of what happens after this operation, which 
I mean, it, it, Hemingway was coy probably because he had to be, but it, uh, it's pretty much, you know, assumed and 99% sure that it's an abortion. And so I, I figured we should, we should lay that out there at some point because I realized we hadn't actually said that. <laughs> I also thought sterilization is the other possibility. No, well, yeah, okay, all right. I could get a little bit more potentially on board with that, but I still think that abortion is probably the most likely. And let's be honest, back in those days, they were often the same thing. Yeah, that's true. That's true too, yeah. But she seems, like I said, to be so much more the realist and so much more grounded. Some might say that she's being negative about their future, but she just knows that everything is not going to be the same after this. And so when he says we could have everything, you know, she says, no, we can't. You know, we can have the whole world. No, we can't. Because she knows that this, maybe they had everything in the whole world for a little while, but now things have changed. And I get the distinct feeling from his kind of devil may care blase way of trying to convince her without really trying to convince her that he's just going to take care of his quote unquote responsibility and then ditch her somewhere, send her home, whatever. But on the other side, if you look at how the text plays out, the sentences that I would more apply to what we've heard from the man previously, we are assigned by the back and forth rule, the 180 rule of of dialogue to her, which seems like we are supposed to digest that somehow as a it's her almost reflecting him true yeah i can see that i can see it that way yeah i think that and that reflection that comes to an end because it's very much like no matter how much talking they do she realizes that it's not going to change anything (laughs) about what's about to happen and that's why she says, would you please, 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 please stop talking. <laughs> and and yeah. I, I just feel like she's done with this conversation. He feels he needs to continue to reassure her because in a way, maybe that's reassuring him and helping him stay kind of like in his whole happy place of pretending everything's going to be fine afterwards. And that's not to say I'm not feel like I should clarify for the larger worldwide context that's not to say that this a relationship cannot continue after you know a, a termination of a pregnancy this relationship doesn't seem like it's going to in particular this singular relationship that Hemingway wrote about seems pretty freaking doomed <laughs> at this point yeah yeah I think that I don't know about toxicity but it is certainly not an open exchange of lives. Yeah, there's, there's walls between them already mm-hmm. that exist. And it feels like maybe some of those walls have been put up even just since they discovered, you know, if, if it is going to be pregnancy, just since they discovered that those walls mm-hmm. have been put up. And so I feel that they, they might have had a closeness and a chance before, or at least they were really, really good at pretending but then real life comes in and shatters the illusion and it's a lot harder to pretend. He's still just doing his damnedest. He's giving it the old college try. I'm going to pretend my heart out. And she's at this point, like she's already sort of 
wisened and aged by this experience. And mm -hmm. I just feel this sense of just not wanting to pretend anymore. Yes. What is fascinating on this one for me, though, is the ending. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is more the most telling portion of this for me of who the character of the man is, is that ending. Because it seems as if, yes, they're drinking the whole time, but they're drinking together. Mm -hmm. And here he leaves. And in your mind, you assign a amount of time to that chunk. That I'm sorry. No problem. And there that goes. Hang on a second. I gotta see if this might be the thing. Okay. Hello. Hello. Jesus Christ. Okay. <laughs> what did I just see? What are you doing? <laughs> Eating your Burger King? <laughs> yeah, I uh I'm getting another MRI, so they call you to schedule those. So I was just, I'm like, I got to answer every call just in case it's the hospital or the place calling to schedule the, the imaging. So, all right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> I usually put it on do not disturb and I totally spaced out this time. <laughs> yeah. So you assign an amount of time to that paragraph. You could, if you're thinking, well, he obviously wants to get back to her. It's a couple of minutes, maybe. If you say, well, he drank in Anise at the bar and looked at people, he was obviously there for 10, 15, 20, 30 minutes. I don't know. Hang on a second. Um, it, it tells us about the train schedule. And it says that the express would come in 40 minutes. It stopped at this junction for two minutes and went on to Madrid. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how long he could be standing there. He looked back up the tracks, but could not see the train. It seems like it's getting to be about that time. So it's really maybe only a few minutes. And then Anise, I wonder if an Anise is closer to an absence, which might be, might be more like a, you might have it like on a, in a rocks glass or a shot or something like that. That could I'm be. Only, I've only ever had absence once and I, I, I'm not, I'm not one for black licorice. So, um, and I love absence and have had it many, many times in many, many ways. Uh, hence why messed up man just <laughs> whew, I get flashbacks um, so yeah maybe it is just a shot but like it felt as if he was taking his time before going back into being with her now I know the train is, has five minutes but it makes me wonder why he would even take that motion why he would need to actually get himself a drink in the bar instead of just grabbing it. Well, I think we're, we're getting a signal there that they are, this is separating them because he goes immediately against the plans that they had set, even just the momentary plans. She says, you know, he says, I better take the bags across the station. And she, she said, all right, then come back and we'll finish the beer. Instead he goes over and he gets a drink by himself. Mm-hmm. And I think that is that, like, 
he's not even intending to, he maybe didn't do it on purpose, or maybe he just had this kind of feeling he wouldn't even verbalize of, I need a break from her for a little while or something. It was something that separated them in that moment. And I feel like that's very much intentional and that's very much signaling to us that the, the chasm between them has widened even further. Mm-hmm. It's just a little thing, but it's, it's something that he, he's like, okay, I'll come back and finish the beer. And then just leaves her there sitting alone, which if you're going to take it all the way, could be symbolic of where she's going to be soon. <laughs> Good, point. Good point. But you know what? She feels fine. She does feel fine. There's nothing wrong with her and she feels fine. It's the end of the world as we know it. Um, oh, that hit hard. So um, <laughs> I did look up Anise del Toro and it is Spanish for the bull's anise. It was discussed in Hemingway's Hills Like White Elephants and the Sun Also Rises. Um, there's not really a lot of uh, information. This is okay. It's just just the usual anise stuff and uh, probably some some form of it, like a brand of, of anise. I don't even know if I'm saying that right because I don't drink it. So I believe it is anise. I've heard it before, but yeah, there's a lot in this story that, again, there is, looking back on the two stories you read previous to this one, there is a detachment, but it is a detachment from within a relationship that is fascinating to see that Hemingway gives you, while only giving you one scene, gives you snippets of both characters' attitude towards their relationship and the situation that they're in. And I think that is really his power of his writing is the ability to give you just enough to let you go into your nooks, crannies, and others. Yeah, exactly. He's he's definitely, and I think, I, I don't know how intentional this is. I've thought about this a lot as far as Hemingway's writing. Some people, the way they write is just kind of like automatic. Their, their voice, their style, all that is just a part of their personality. With him, I am sort of leaning towards that, but he was also a very smart man. So there can be a lot of intentional choices made to accomplish what you're setting out to accomplish with a piece of fiction. I feel that just as a general rule, the space he leaves, the blanks he leaves for the, the reader to fill in are both a side effect of his sort of taciturn style as well as intentional because he does want the reader to make this their own world and to really meld their world with that of his characters. Are you still there? Chris? What happened? Hello? Hello. <laughs> Hello. Are you there? Can you can you hear me? I can hear you. Okay, I can hear you. Oh good. Phew. Yeah, <laughs> it's those gaps that in many ways define Hemingway's short works in particular. What is strange to me though is how little islands he has to put to make you realize that there is a gap that your intellect needs to fill in. Yeah, it's, it's really, it's almost like this automatic thing. Like, you know how when a word is misspelled, 
sometimes our eyes will just gloss over it. We won't even notice and we'll replace the word with the word that's intention, mm-hmm. intention. And then sometimes we'll make a verb out of the word intention. <laughs> Which is fine. Although I do understand that verbing nouns weirds language. It uh, does. It does weird language. I should have said that was intended. That's the actual way that the, that word works. But whatever words, they can work whatever way I want them to. Gosh, darn it. So, um, so yeah, I feel like I lost my train of thought. Something about words. Yes. Um, the, the, the whole like your mind replaces uh, a, a mistaken word with the actual word. We're doing that, except it's even more extraordinary to me because when you do that, you have to come up with it out of whole cloth. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't even have like a substitute for the real thing there. We don't have any sort of physical description of them, really, really That's very true. little, if any. We have to put these people in there ourselves. They could be us. Uh, which we could make people connect to the story more. They can be people we imagine. They can be, you know, our friends, our enemies, our lovers, our whatever. You know, it's, we have the choice. It's, it's choose your own adventure when it comes to Hemingway. And finally, for once, the adventure did not immediately end in blood. I totally want to read an Ernest Hemingway choose your own adventure. If you choose to bed the nurse, turn to page 143. If you choose to drink some more, turn to page one. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. We, we should really write that. Agreed. Got anything else on this one there, Christy? Uh, let me check my very sparse set of notes. Um, no, I really think I got everything, everything out that I wanted to talk about. Um, so, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Excellent. Hey, Christy. Hey, what? I have a story for us to read next week. Oh, you do? Well, good. I think you're going to love it. It's called My Slut-Shaming Ghost Can Go Straight to Hell by Gwen E. Kelly. That does actually sound very much like uh, something I would like. The title, the title is everything there. <laughs> yes. It's on electric literature, and it's fantastic. That's beautiful. I can't yes. read that. Me neither. <laughs> Well, in that case, maybe this will be short story. And maybe it'll be short podcast. Maybe. Maybe.